Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. We thank you again for the many blessings that you give to your people. We thank you for your word and the important reminders that we find in it of how we are to live before your face. We thank you for the way you continue to speak the truth to the world throughout the ages through faithful ministers who are filled with the Spirit of the Lord. We pray that you would continue to do that in our day and age as well, that we might serve this generation well. So help us to have a heart for the things that you love and to love you above all else, to serve you and glorify your name. And hear us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, um, I hope it was helpful to go through some of the universalist passages that people sometimes cite for um, arguing against limited atonement or that Jesus died for the whole world. Um, one of the things that the, before we move to the third and fourth head of doctrine, uh, one of the things the elders had asked me to address in the Sunday school hour was home visiting. Um, one of the roles of the elders is to visit people in their homes, uh, to conduct visits, to report those visits back to the consistory. Um, so we see how people are doing. Um, and we thought, you know, one of the things that happens during a pastoral transition um, is you're just trying to keep the ship afloat, right? So it's Sort of all hands are at the pumps, you're without a pastor, the elders are trying to do everything they do, and then once the pastor arrives, you can you know, try to get used to him, depending on how long that takes. I guess for us, it's taken nine months, so sorry I've been so hard to deal with, guys. Um, but after that all happens, then we kind of try to get back to business as usual, and one of the things I think that, that you know, suffers during these transitional times is we don't get to do as many of the visits that we want to do, and we're trying to get those back on track, and so... Um, when the elders call trying to arrange a home visit, I think it's always good that people know what, what that's for. Um, I remember early on in my ministry, I would call people when I wanted to visit with them, and I would say, um, would you like me to come over? And they would say, no, I'm fine, thanks. Um, and I realized after a while, I thought, what I want is to come over, so I should phrase this differently, otherwise I'm going to keep getting the same result, because people don't want to bother me or whatever. So I would say, I'd like to come visit you when would be a good time. Um, but I also found that when the pastor calls people and says, I want to come visit, sometimes they'll say, why? Um, you know, it's kind of like, am I about to be called into the principal's office? Um, and I, you know, sometimes we just want to meet with people. It's not that we said anything's wrong, it's we just want to meet. Um, and so, you know, the elders may call you and say, we'd like to come for a home visit. And, you know, we're afraid that maybe some of you would say, why? Um, why do the elders want to come visit me? And so... Um, we thought we would go We would go through, why do we do home visiting? Why is that a thing that we do? Um, if you're Dutch, it used to be called heisbezoek. You would go visit in the home. Um, and it was just a way of elders saying, look, there's, there's only so much that ministers can do in the time that you have on a Sunday morning and a Sunday evening. Um, you, can, you can minister the word to everyone, but you don't know where everyone is in their individual lives and whether you're... You're missing a subject that they need to talk about, that you need to minister to them. Um, and we, we see that it's important to minister the word in public. Everything starts from there. Um, but there are also times the word needs to be ministered in private, um, that, that the word needs to be ministered house to house. And that's how Paul described his ministry amongst the Ephesians. Um, so I thought you could turn with me to Acts chapter 20. Um, and this is when Paul is saying his farewell to the Ephesian elders. Um, in, in some ways, it's a, it's a very sad thing to, to be saying goodbye um, to your elders. It's worse when you have to say, like Paul, you're never going to see my face again. 
Um, and so that's the context that Paul's talking to the Ephesian elders. He fully expects to never see them again. Um, and so he's leaving them with the, the last instructions that are very important for them. And so we find that in Acts chapter 20, beginning at verse 17. And I thought I would read this and then think about how Paul describes his ministry. So in Acts chapter, seven, ch- chapter 20, beginning at verse 17, this is God's own word. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, teaching you in public and from house to house testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all these things I have shown you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And he accompanied him, and they accompanied him to the ship. Uh, Thus far, the reading of God's word. Um, We see here where we get something of the scriptural basis for ministering house to house. Paul says, I ministered house to house. Um, And that's really what we're doing in family visitation, just taking that same word that we preach in public, in the pulpit, and bringing that word in private to the people of God um, as they need it. So I just want to kind of discuss briefly what is family visitation, where do we find this practice in Scripture, and how did this practice work itself out in church history? Um, because some people will say, well, this seems kind of a unique thing that you do, uh, doing this kind of visiting. Where do we find that in Scripture? And so um, if we want to have a simple definition, family visitation is the practice of elders and ministers officially and regularly visiting the members of the congregation in their homes. Um, We try to bring the word of God to people in their homes. Um, We do that regularly and officially. Um, So we're trying to do it regularly. 
trying to get back on track of doing it regularly. That's always a challenge for ministers and elders to visit regularly. Um, and we visit officially. Uh, so it's not a social call. Um, it's a call particularly that we can minister to you um, in private uh, to exercise the care beyond just when we see you on Sunday. Because there's, there's some of us that don't get to talk to you every Sunday. Um, and sometimes even when you want to talk to somebody on Sunday, you, you, I, got, I need to talk to so-and-so. Then you know, other things happen and you just can't get to them. And then you think, okay, now I need to try to talk to them next Sunday. Um, you know, th- those kinds of things happen. And so trying to go to people's homes is a way that we try to bring the word to people um, in a regular and official way so that we can, we can see how you're doing. That's, that's re- really what we want to do. You know, Paul tells the elders in this passage, pay attention to the flock. Um, pay attention to them and care for them. Um, you, you can't do what you need to do as a shepherd if you're not in and among your flock, right? Um, if there's a shepherd and you said to him, well, how's your flock doing? He goes, I don't know. I haven't looked at him for a while. Um, you'd say, well, you're not a very good shepherd. <laughs> you know, you got to kind of actually get out in your sheep and see how they're doing. Um, and so that's kind of what we as elders want to be doing is having that regular visiting where we're visiting with the people, seeing how things are going, um, caring for the church. And that's the shepherding role that, that elders have been given. Um, that's what God wanted elders to do. That's what Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4. That's how elders should think of their task. Um, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Um, you can see how Paul, Paul evidences everything that Peter just talked about in the way he's caring for the Ephesians. Right? He says, I didn't, I didn't come here and do this for my own shameful gain. In fact, you know, to, to show you that I wasn't like the people who travel through and just kind of stay in your house and eat your food and, and peddle a word, I wanted to be, be sure you understood I, I'm going to pay my own way. The people that come with me, I'm going to pay their way as well. I, I'm not in this for shameful gain. Um, I, I'm not trying to profit off of you. I, I'm declaring to you everything that needs to be declared. I, I'm not do, I've not domineered over you. Um, I've tried to show an example to the flock of what loving leadership work, looks like. You know, Paul was not a domineering personality among them. He said, I ministered to you often with tears. Um, that, that shows the, the earnestness that he ministered to them with. Um, that, that's the model of, of leadership that he shows. And um, we can't, you know, you can't do your job if you're not in and among your flock shepherding. Um, because at the end of the day, shepherding is fairly simple, straightforward work. It's all there in, in Ezekiel 34. What do sheep need? They need to be fed, right? And if they're sick, they need to be healed. If they're injured, they need to be bound, off, bound up. If they're straying, they need to be sought. Um, but if, if you're not a shepherd in and among your flock, you don't know who's sick and who's hurt and who's straying. Um, and, it, and if you deal with a problem in the wrong way, um, you're not actually going to be helping the sheep, right? Because sometimes sheep are sick because they're malnourished, and what they need to be is fed. And if you treat them like they're sick when they're really malnourished, you have to deal with that a different way. And so we want to be sure that we're doing the right thing for the right people, rightly interpreting what's going on. 
Um, that, that's what I heard one person say once about Job's counselors. You know, one of their big problems was they, they misdiagnosed Job and they misrepresented God. Now, that's not a recipe for effective shepherding, right, to help your friend. And that's what some people have said, you know, they did the best thing for Job when they just sat with him in the dust not saying anything. Um, it was when they all started talking that they actually did him harm because they didn't actually know what they were talking about. Um, and so the elders want to be in and among the people and to, to minister to them. And that's what God gave us a church structure for, so that we can all be shepherded. Um, we're all equally under the supervision of the consistory. Uh, that's true for me. That's true for the elders. Uh, we're all under the supervision of the consistory, that body of ministers and elders who work together. There's none of us who are not under that, that supervision. Um, so we're all under that, and that's, that's a gift that God has given us, to have people who care for us. Um, we read about that in Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. And he gave the, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ." so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love." Um, it should be obvious that we can't do that in two hours on a Sunday, right? To get everybody to grow up to the full measure of the stature of Christ. That takes us more than two hours a week. Um, you might be farther along than I am, but it takes us more than two hours a week. That's why we try to do periodic Bible studies. That's why we try to do other things. That's why we meet with the congregation, to try to continue to minister the word and to minister the word in the, pro in the context that people need to hear it. Right. Paul said, I ministered house to house, but we see an example of his private ministry even in what he says to the elders, right? Because he says that he's, he's ministering the word that the elders need to hear in this, in this matter, right? As he's leaving, as they're being left to care for the sheep, he ministers the word to them in private. Um, this is a word for them. It's not, it's not a, a public preaching service. It's a, it's a private ministry of the word to them, and he tells them the things that they need to hear. I'm about reminding them about their responsibilities, about what they're called to do, about the, the difficulties that they're going to face, and that God is still calling them in the midst of that to care for the church, to be alert and protect the church, um, and to admonish people who need admonishing. Um, it's not always popular work. And when the reformers really tried to reinstate this because it had fallen on hard times in the church, there were a lot of people who didn't like it. They'd gotten comfortable with the elders never coming and calling. Um, and it's kind of funny to read some of the accounts of, of Geneva when the consistory was actually being active and coming and talking to the people. It's kind of comical because some of the people, you know, everybody in the city was obliged to go to church. It was a rule of being in the city. Um, so you can imagine there are a lot of people in church who didn't want to be there, um, and they didn't like it when the consistory expected them not just to be there, but actually to be doing the things that God wanted them to do. Um, it was a little bit of a different situation, because they actually had a constable who worked for the consistory, appointed by the city, who could go round people up. 
Um, so, you know, that was a little bit of a different order where, you know, if you wanted to visit with someone they weren't really willing to visit with, you could send the cops to go pick them up. Um, well, you can imagine that doesn't advance a spiritual feeling if we send the cops to pick you up and they haul you in in cuffs and then we're going to talk to you about the gospel. I, that would be kind of hard to say, we're really just shepherding you um, and while you're giving your fingerprints, right? Um, so it's a little bit different order and it's not to be necessarily to be uh, modeled. And, you know, there were times where the elders would start walking through the city and people would run out their back doors um, and run away to try to avoid the elders coming to them. So um, we don't want to over idealize previous generations. Um, there were things that didn't go well. Um, but what we are trying to do is not, you know, castigate people or um, really try to be hard on people. It's really a way we're trying to serve you. Um, it's, it's a way that the elders are trying to serve you and being able to come and to talk to you personally about how your life is going um, so that we can try to minister, you know, and we can rejoice with you if things are going well, um, that we can weep with you if things are going poorly. Um, we can pray for you and try to care for you and minister the word of God to you um, in a way that's helpful. Um, that's what we want to do. And we want to do it for your sake and we also want to do it because we have to give God an account of how we've done. You know, that's, that's one of the things that Scripture points out to us. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls, as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Um, and that, that's what essentially Paul is saying to the Ephesian elders when he said, I declare that I'm innocent of the blood of all of you. Um, that I, I've now told you everything that God told me to tell you. I've ministered to you the whole counsel of God. Um, I didn't hold back from saying anything that needed to be said. And so I go away knowing that if you decide not to follow what I said, it wasn't because I didn't say it to you. Um, and, and, you know, that's a hard thing that, that elders do have to do on occasion. If someone is really wayward and they won't listen to you, um, and you've tried to minister God's word, and you've tried to call them, and you've admonished them, and they're still not listening to you, um, there's sometimes you have to say that to them. You know, now we're innocent of your blood. We've told you everything that the Lord needed for you to hear, and now if you're going to turn away from it, you're going to bear the responsibility for that. Um, it's not the first thing you should say to people, but you can get to that point with people um, where, where you have to say that, and that's, that's, not, that's not a happy thing to have to do. But we want to serve our people in that way. And so we, we, want, to under, we want you to understand why we're doing this. Um, why do we come visit in the home? It's because we care about how things are going. Um, we want to be a help to you. Um, we want to be able to pray for you and know how, how your families are doing and how we can be praying for you and helping you and ministering the word. Um, how we can be speaking to your need. Um, and, and we need your prayers in our work as well. Um, you know, it's always dangerous to want to take half or part of, of the Word of God. You know, we saw that this morning, right? It's dangerous to take part of the assurance of Psalm 46 and apply it to yourself if you're not walking with the Lord. Um, there's, no, there's no assurance that should be found there if you're not walking with the Lord. And there's also a danger that, that you know, leaders can, can just cite that. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Right? There, there's a danger to put that and, and not go on to say because they are keeping watch over your souls. It's for our good that God has given us these officers to care for us. 
um, to, to watch over our souls. And so we need your prayers. Um, that's what the writer of Hebrews says as well. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. Um, th- there's no hidden motive or agenda in why we're coming over. Like th- That's part of what we're trying to do here is say, you don't need to feel like you're being called into the principal's office. There's no hidden agenda. What we, what we want to do is find out, are you being fed? Right? That's why the elders visit, not the minister. It's hard to say you're not being fed if the minister's not doing his job if he's sitting there in your living room. Um, and that's why the elders come, so they can honestly ask that question. Are you being fed? Um, are you sick? Is there something going on in, in your life, um, spiritually or even physically? Are you, are you in some kind of need? Are you, have you been hurt by the church? Been hurt by other people? Um, is there hurt that we need to try to help heal? Is there some way in which you're straying? in doctrine or in life that we need to try to call you back from. Um, There's no hidden agenda in this. Like shepherding is pretty easy at the end of the day to describe. Um, The the difficulty is in the doing of it. Um, And so we we have a limited amount of elders, but they're working very hard for the church. Um, Unfortunately, it's the nature of the work that we do a lot of things behind the scenes. Um, I, I remember having a new deacon in Torrance, and after our first council meeting, he said, man, there's a lot of stuff going on in the church. I'm like, yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on in the church. And he said, you know, I kind of wish the whole church could sit in on one of these meetings sometime just to see all the stuff that's going on that, that we don't know about that when we're sitting out in the consistory. Um, and so, you know, I kind of thought that was an interesting reaction to say, you know, there's a lot that's going on behind the scenes. I had no idea. And there is a lot. The elders are doing a lot. Um, and one of the things they do want to do is to come and to meet with you um, so they can see how you're doing. And that was really a blessed recovery in the Reformation, this idea that you have to go to your people and minister to them. Because it was, it was the practice of the ancient church. That's how everybody thought of pastoral care. That's why, that's why people first started talking about bishops. That's where that language was used. It just really meant someone who's being a shepherd, they were going out into their flock, and they were ministering to the flock. It wasn't, it wasn't like a guy who was a part of a hierarchy. It just meant the local minister who was overseeing his flock, and that was all over the place in the ancient church. And it stems from Paul's practice. He was out as an apostle even, going house to house. Um, pastors and elders were going house to house with people. And we hear that testimony early on in the church. Um, Clement of Alexandria, who was from about 150 to 215. Cyprian, who was about 200 um, to 258. Uh, they, they speak of this practice in their writings, of going out and ministering to the flock. Going out and seeing how their people are doing. The elders going out, seeing how their people are doing. That was just a regular part of, of the church. Um, they were taking heed to the flock. Um, and they, they talked about that as being something necessary to do to just be out among their people. Uh, John Chrysostom, who is a famous minister, um, he's often called the Golden Tongue for being this great orator. Um, he lived from about 347 to 407. Um, and he called this kind of pastoral care, you know, the difficult but necessary work that people should be called on in their homes. Um, and that should be a regular part of what the church is doing. Um, Ambrose of Milan from 340 to 397, he placed a high value on this work. Um, and said, you know, it's, it's perfect because you can go and you can give guidance to individual souls. 
It's a work that you can't do from the pulpit. You begin it in the pulpit. It won't work without what's going on in the pulpit. But he said it's the perfect complement to the pulpit. You preach, you teach, you administer the sacraments, and then you go in the home and see how it's, how it's coming, how, how, what work it's doing, what, what's lacking in the people's houses. And he said that was a very important thing to do. Um, and even Gregory the Great, who lived from about 540 to 604 in Rome, and who sometimes called the first pope, um, even he was saying um, the value of pastors knowing the conditions of their members and the flock, of being out and among people. Um, this was a regular practice in the church for centuries that went away and declined with the growth of the Roman Catholic Church. Because as the Roman Catholic Church coalesced and the, and the doctrine of penance started to rise, this notion of you need to come and confess your sins to the priest, it flips the script. The church now doesn't come to you to figure out how you're doing. You have to come to the church. You know, the, as it developed over time and over centuries, finally you've got a priest sitting in a box and he's waiting for you to show up. Um, he's waiting for you to show up and confess your sins. Um, and then he finds out what you're doing, and then he ministers, tells you what you need to do to sort of right the scales. I'm, I'm overly simplifying Roman Catholic theology. Um, but this, this replaced that. Um, and it replaced it in a really bad way. Um, because grace now becomes mechanically received through just coming and faithfully doing what you're supposed to do in the little box. Um, it's not really about seeing what is the true spiritual condition of your people, how they're doing, and going to them. Now you're making them come to you and pretending you can dispense grace materially through the sacrament of penance. That developed over time and centuries um, after the church. And what's interesting is um, this kind of private confession started in monasteries and became more popular with the laity um, in the late 6th century. So we're talking, you know, late 500s, um, which sounds like a long time ago, right, when we think about that. But it's also a long time after the apostles, right? So don't confuse ancient with apostolic. Um, that's a mistake a lot of people make. This was not an ancient practice of the church. This developed near the Middle Ages that people started to do this. It started in monasteries, became more popular um, with the laity, but this practice was vehemently opposed for years. There were certain people who said, this is a bad idea. You shouldn't make people come to the church for a private act of confession. You should be going to the people. Um, so even though it began then, it wasn't unopposed in the church. Um, but by 1215, right? that's a long time later, uh, the practice was so widespread that the Fourth Lateran Council made it canon law without much opposition. Um, and the confessional became the heart of where pastoral care was exercised. Um, you no longer had someone coming to you. You had to come to them. Um, and, you know, it, it, it degrades over time until you can take a very cynical view of it. You know, I served, my, the pastor I served with in Torrance had grown up Roman Catholic, and he would say, talk about how his brothers and he would sit around and try to figure out how can we kind of trick the priest into forgiving us without kind of making a full confession. And he would say, because if we make a full confession, he's going to give us a lot of stuff we need to do. So as teenagers, we would say, like, I did a lot of bad stuff. If I confess it all, the priest's going to make me do a lot of stuff to, to right the scale. 
Um, so how can we try to like slip in our sins, like kind of fold them in under other sins so that he'll hear them and forgive them, and then we'll be technically forgiven, but we won't get the big penance that we'll get. If we have to, he would talk about, you know, we, we would do this. Now that's, not, now, that's not everybody, right? He would admit, my brothers and I were not the, the paragons of the Roman Catholic Church to be looked to, um, trying to slip your sin in under the priest's nose and get away clean. Like, that's not vital piety, and he would have admitted that. At the same time, um, what does that show? It's a very mechanical kind of thinking, and you're not really trying to lay out genuine problems and get them forgiven. Um, or lay out genuine problems and find spiritual care for them. Um, it becomes a very mechanical process. I tell him what I did. He tells me what I need to do. The scales are balanced, and we can go on with our lives. Um, that replaced genuine pastoral care. And one of the, one of the real accomplishments of the, Re- the Reformation is to say pastoral care needs to be recovered. We need to recover this sense of the church needs to be involved in the lives of its people, not just when they're dying or when they show up, um, but try to be involved a lot with people, to be doing that important work of ministry, of coming and continuing to minister to people in their homes, to find out what is going on with them, to try to figure out how can we pray, how can we pray for you, how can we cry with you, um, what, what's going on in your life that is, is a cause for struggle for you and what's, what's going on that we can help you with. Um, and so one of the worst things that we can do, which we're really good at doing as Americans, is when someone asks you, how are you doing? You say, fine. Right? Um, so much so that when someone doesn't just say fine and they actually start telling you, it's kind of shocking. Right? You're like, oh, oh we're actually going to hear now about how things are going. Um, we're, we're used to just trying to be like, it's, everything's fine. Um, and I remember hearing a pastor once say, you know, the, the worst thing you can do when you're sick and you go to the doctor is tell the doctor you're fine. Right? Because the doctor can't help you then because he doesn't know what's going on. He can't really help you diagnose the problem um, or you'll end up treating the wrong symptom. And so one of the things he said is the church needs to be a place where you can, you can come and say to someone, honestly, I'm not okay. That's, that's a great thing about the God we serve is you can come before him and say, I'm not okay. I'm not doing well. I, I'm, not, I'm not happy all the time. Um, and you can lay out before God what's really going on. God does not mind that at all. The, the Psalms are filled with that. I'm not okay. I'm really struggling. Um, there's all sorts of Psalms that give voice to that kind of struggle. Um, it's okay to say to God, I'm not okay. The only thing that God really doesn't like is when we grumble about it behind his back. But we can come to him and lay it all out before him and know that he'll, as one of a seminary professor said, you know, he'll deal with that faithfully as a friend. You know, you don't, you don't have to lay it out before God worrying that he's going to somehow throw it back in your face or say, you know, I'm really disappointed to hear that. The Psalms say things we would never say to God. My dad always likes to say that. You know, that we're, we're way more pious than the psalmist. We would never say the kinds of things that the psalmist says to God. You know, we would never say, well, it seems like I've served you in vain. I do everything right, and this is the thanks I get. 
Sometimes I wonder if it'd be better if I just didn't walk with you at all. Or maybe you can turn your face away from me and I could smile again. Or maybe you can take your hands out of your pockets and actually do something about what's going on. Right? I've never prayed a prayer like that. Um, and even, you know, even when I've tried to sometimes voice the same prayers you see on this altar, sometimes I end up apologizing for it because it was too, like, uh, I can't, I can't do it, I can't leave that stand. Um, but the Holy Spirit has given that to say, God, is, God knows what's going on with you, right? It's not going to be news to him if things are not going well and you come to him and say, things are not going well. He already knows that. Um, and what you'll find is he'll deal with you gently, and faithfully, like a friend. And that's what, that's what the church is trying. We're not always at our best. God's always at his best, so we're not always at our best. But at our best, that's what the church is trying to do, is come and say, take these opportunities to come and say, how are you really doing? Um, how are you really doing? And how can we help? Right? We're, we're limited people. We realize that we can't help you like the Lord can help you. Um, we, we can't heal things the way he can heal things. Right? That, that's always the glory of being able to lay things out to God because God can deal with them and he can help. He always has the power to help and to heal. Um, we don't always have that power to heal, but we can certainly help. Um, even if the only help we can do is like Job's friends is sit down in the dirt with you and weep over what's happening. Um, and so that, that's really what we want to do in home visiting is just come and be able to see how are things going, um, you know, physically, spiritually, financially, how are you doing, do you need help from the church? That, that's what we're coming to do. So if the elders call and say, can we come and meet with you? Um, I encourage you to try to make time to do that. And I know we all have busy schedules and it can be easy to sort of be like, nah, not today, or you know, to schedule it in the future, and then when it comes up, to be like, ah, I don't think I have time for that today. Um, just remember, that's an extension of the care that God is exercising over you. That's one of the things that God has provided to help us in this life um, so that we're not living life alone. That's the other characteristic of Americans. We pride ourselves in the rugged individualism. Um, I, can, I can make it on my own. Right? And, and what, what God's word says is individualism is a, is a way to be you know, picked off from the herd by the devil. Um, we, we can't survive as individuals. God's given us a community for a reason because we all need it. And it's meant to be a burden-bearing community. Sometimes people don't like to, to lay out what's going on with them because they say, I don't want to burden you with this. Um, this is a place where we're meant to be able to burden people with stuff. It's part of being a family together, is that you don't have the right not to burden someone. Um, and we'd all rather be the burden carriers. We like that role, right? That's, that's comfortable. You know, if, I, if I'm going to carry your burden, I'd much rather do that than be the burden to be carried. But the reality is in the life of this community together, in a long enough period of time, sooner or later, you're going to move from being burden carrier to burden to be born. Right? All of us get to that point. Right? Somebody said this morning in our prayer meeting, getting old is not for sissies. Is that you? Yeah. yeah. Getting old is not for sissies. I want to give credit where credit's due, right? 
Um, it, it's not, it's tough, right? And we all, go, we all go through that period in life where we're the ones who can be there for everyone and then we suddenly realize, oh, I need people to be here for me. Um, and then sometimes we respond to that by saying, well, I don't want to be a burden. Well, that's why God's given us a church. You don't really have a choice. You get, you get to be carried from time to time. We all need that. Um, we're all kidding ourselves if we say we don't. And that's what the church is here for. So that when you are a burden, there's someone to carry you. And that when someone else is a burden, there's someone there to carry that burden. That, that's why God has given us a community. That's why he's not left us alone in the world. Um, and that's why his promises are always, I take the solitary person and I settle them in a home. That's what the church is. Um, that's what we are at our best. We're striving to be our best. We're not always our best. We sometimes drop the ball. But that's what we're trying to be as a community. Um, and that, 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 the home visiting is part of that. Um, is trying to is trying to say how can we be in and among you? How can we be ministering to you? Um, how can we be of help to you? Um, and so that that's the whole purpose of it. Um, are there any questions about home visiting? How many are familiar with that that practice? Okay, most people in the church. Okay, so for those who are unfamiliar, what what happens when the elders come and visit you? How does that go? What do they what do they say? What do they ask? Not everybody at once. Yeah. How are you? Okay. Okay. What are you reading in the scripture? Pry into your life. Yeah, that's what we like to do. Um, pry into your life. I always start by saying to people, "This is not an inquisition. This is not an interrogation. Um, this is how you're doing." Um, and so, yeah, we're not, we're not trying to pry into your life, and that's why I usually will try to put it in terms of how can we pray for you. And that's usually the quickest way to really find out what's burdening someone. How do they need praying? Um, I, I realize I'm revealing one of my tricks. Um, but at the same time, it's, it's good for you to know that because we do live in the I'm okay world. Um, and so someone, someone who says to you, I'm just fine, um, you can say, how can I pray for you? And oftentimes you'll find out that they're not okay or how they're not okay. But yeah, the point is not, is not to pry into your life, despite what you've heard. Um, it's not to pry into your life. Um, we, we're just trying, we're trying to help. And we're limited people, and we can only help by asking. Um, and so, yeah, so those are, the questions are fairly simple. You know, we want to know how's your spiritual life going. Um, how are how are things going for your kids? How are things going? You know, we love talking to your kids about stuff. Um, they tell us about stuff about you guys we never would have found out otherwise. <laughs> um, talk about prying, um, you know. But it's it's good because it also establishes. You know, sometimes what you find too is the first visit you don't get very far, but it it creates an open dialogue for maybe another visit or maybe a willingness to take an elder aside and say. Hey, I'm actually, I am struggling with something. Can I talk to you about it? Because um, we want to have that, that open line of dialogue. So those are the kind of things we ask. What are, what are the other kinds of things we ask? Devotion, see yeah, on the home, like what are you reading? Prove it, Prove it. yeah, yeah. Um, 
I think when we had a home visit once, one of, one of my siblings, I don't think it was me, I never would have done that to my parents, but I think one of my siblings mentioned that we only read the Bible after dinner when we have company. Um, and if, if looks could kill, um, I think I'd be down a sibling. Um, that wasn't really the case, but it was funny that that came out. So you never know, you never know what's going to come, prove it, yeah. Um, so, but the whole thing is, you know, to get to know one another better um, and to try to make sure that there's that, that open lines of dialogue uh, to go in. So, anything else? Any elders? Yes, Deb. No. Reasons for praise, yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure. Right, rejoice with you too, yeah. Um, probably we think too much on the negative side of pastoral care, but yeah, there's, we want to rejoice with those who are rejoicing um, and, and hear about what's, what's going on. You know, as Dan and I just the other day were able to visit with Mrs. Vinstel and she wanted to pass along to the whole congregation how much she appreciated knowing that everybody was praying for her and um, that the congregation was aware of what she was was going through. That, that was a reason for us to be encouraged in talking to her and uh, an encouraging testimony that she gave um, and wanted that passed along to you all so that you would know that she appreciates your prayers. And so, you know, that's a way that you were carrying a burden whether you really realized it or not. That, that simple act of, of lifting her up before the Lord was a service to her, um, a way that you were able to carry her um, the way that we can carry each other. So, yeah, we don't want to just focus on the negative, right? Also on the, on the positive, too. Yeah, we, we stress membership, and that's one of, the, one of the questions that we ask members, right? Are you willing to, be, to submit yourself to, not to the Inquisition, not to prying eyes, but to, uh, to the exhortations? Because sometimes we need to be told hard truths, right? Faithful are the wounds of a friend, that if something's not going well in our lives, we need someone to tell us that, to help get us back on track. And we need encouragement when we're going on the right path. Um, to, to Deb's point, there's been a lot of times where I've been visiting with people and they talk about just like how bad they feel like their spiritual life is going and you know how filled with doubt and un uncertainty they are. And the more you work through with them, like they don't really have a reason to feel that much doubt and uncertainty. Um, they're doing all the things that are pleasing to God. They're putting their trust in Him. They're desiring to serve Him in their life. They're sorry for their sins. And you know, it's an opportunity to be like, you don't have to be so down on yourself. Um, so sometimes the admonishment is not, you know, stop your sin. The admonishment is, you know, stop being so hard on yourself. It sounds like you're walking with the Lord. Be encouraged. Um, be encouraged. Um, you know, shout that at people. It's very helpful. Um, anything else? Yeah, sort of how we did it. Um, we're we're kind of out of time, but... Um, you know, we tried to have like a verse that we would read with everybody. So everybody was kind of bringing the same first word to people. So it was a ministry of the word before we read. We'd always pray together. Um, and then, you know, yeah, just asking the general questions under that kind of rubric of, are you being fed? Are, are you sick in some way? Are you hurt in some way? Are you straying in some way? And so kind of using that as our guideline to ask questions on just how are you doing physically, how are you doing life, family, how are you doing spiritually, um, and kind of using those 
those touchstones, yeah. Yeah, one of the things that we find is so many people are really interested in Reformed doctrine. They like the doctrines of salvation. They like certain doctrines, and they don't realize that really to be Reformed comes with that also a doctrine of the church, um, that all of that is included as part of the church, and you can't just pull the church out of that equation and still have a whole system of doctrine. Um, and so, yeah, we should want to be part of this. We should want to be helping. We should want to be helped. We should want to be part of this community. Seeing, Because I think the more we understand our sinfulness, the more we understand our own struggles of the Christian life, the more, we, the more we realize how much help we actually do need, both from God and from one another, to be encouraged in, in this life. All right, well, that's our, that's our time. So thank you for letting me deviate from the canons of Dort and talk about home visiting. Um, and let's ask God to bless our, our work. Father in heaven, thank you for this day and the blessings that you've given to us. We thank you for this church. We thank you for the faithful elders that serve the church and their desire to, to shepherd our souls. We pray that we would be open to meeting with them and that you would create a spirit of openness in our church that we wouldn't give the easy answer that everything's fine, but that we would also be willing to share those ways that we are struggling, the ways we're celebrating your goodness to us, that when those who suffer, we would all suffer together, and when, the, when some are honored, we would all rejoice, um, and so that we would be built closer to one another and closer to our Lord. So help us in these things.